your Bibles, I'd ask you to find Luke chapter number 2. Luke chapter number 2. You know, uh, for, for some years, for some years, this, uh, this building sat empty, and uh, while it was sitting empty for some years, um, or, or, or virtually empty, while it was sitting empty, one of the worst things that could happen happens when something's not used, uh, cars, buildings, when things are not used, they tend to deteriorate. And uh, some of you guys have been here long enough to remember this, but there used to be there used to be pews here, and um, and uh, all those years of disuse and the climate not being kept the same and people not being in the building, the the building uh, excuse me the pews actually come unglued, like literally, and we were we were taking boards and 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 screwing them back together and adding glue and trying to make it work and it just wouldn't work. I mean, how do I how, how do you guys know it didn't work? You're, you're not sitting in pews. You're sitting in chairs. And, uh, and it was heartbreaking. This was some beautiful wood, and, and it just got to the place where, you know, if you'd sit down, many times they would pinch, pinch your, your back or your behind, and, and uh, you, you would see people just like, just like John was doing. He was praying, and I would step up here to speak, and people were quietly sitting down. You'd see someone do like that, and you'd say, oh, the Holy Ghost just got them. Or, or the pew or something just got them. And uh, we eventually had to make the decision that you see before you. And uh, Brett Carver's dad is, I mean, you know, if you talk to Kent, he doesn't come across as really smart. So it takes a while. <laughs> is, is he here? This is better if I could find him. <laughs> uh, but Kent is really smart. So he, he hated to see this wood go to waste. We were able to find somebody that could use some of it. And Kent kept a bunch of it. And he began to make souvenirs for us and uh one of the things he made and gave to me out of this this wood these these pews he gave me a chopping block and he even inscribed it and it's just so beautiful uh but guess what I never seem to be able to do I can't use it I just think about all those songs of joy all the times the the word was read over it all the saints who over the years sat in those seats, and I just can't. It's become a decorative piece for us. I just can't start chopping cilantro on it. You know what I mean? I just, I just can't. Uh, and, and if he gave you one and you've been chopping cilantro, don't feel guilty that I'm more holy than you. Just calm down. Uh, just remain calm. Does anybody know what I mean? How, you, know, you, ever, you, know, you ever gotten something, you just, you just couldn't use it? Um, well, the flip side of that was things that because of our lack of understanding, we were prepared to throw away, Kent saw use in them. The, the, you know, the, the different eye, the different mind, the different hand on those things made all the difference in the world. Now, if you want to see this at work in a huge way, just uh, invite yourself to Larry and Annie Bain's house. It doesn't take much. Just say you'd like to come over, and they're going to make you some gluten-free, delightful food and bring you into the house. And in their house, it is full of things that Larry has made from other things. Where you might see a pile of throwaway lumber, Larry will see a nativity. Or he'll see some, something he can use to, 
to fix something with. Larry, Larry, it has to be a really tiny piece of wood for Larry to go, oh, that's trash. As a matter of fact, I joked with him one time. I got a splinter while we were working together, and I said, hey, Larry, you want to pull this out and make something out of it? And he says, oh, let me see why I think that's too small. I think sometimes we miss the powerful sovereignty and providence of God. There is nothing that goes to waste with God. Somebody ought to say amen. In every mess that we see, and I've seen a lot of messes, God's looking at it through his lens, and his lens is radically different than ours. His power is radically different than ours. Tonight, on Christmas Eve, and in case you're right, you know, when was Jesus born? We're not even going to try to settle that argument. What we have settled is we choose to celebrate it on December 25th. Amen? Right? If, if, if you're sitting here and, and, and somebody didn't know your birthday, you were born. And we could pick a day and celebrate you. Uh, I would pick February 29th. <laughs> Slows aging. Um, thank you. I needed that laugh, whoever laughed. I really needed that. Here, here's my point. We choose to celebrate Jesus And sometimes this celebration, in this celebration, we will lose a lot of the deep impact of the gospel because of all the other things going around. And I'm not not in favor of all the other things. Somebody ought to say amen. I, I love to celebrate. Thank God that someone decided that we'd eat ham and turkey. It's not in the Bible, but praise God, it's on the plate. So I, I am down with the celebrations. I'm just not down with the celebrations at the expense of the gospel. Amen? So tonight, let's look at the account of the birth of Jesus as told by Luke in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And I pray that your heart will be captured in a fresh way to see the mess that makes God giggle. That's all this is. It just makes God giggle. This mess is no problem for God. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Father, as we open your word, indeed, encourage us, instruct us, cause us to see the wonder of your working hand. And let us not only rejoice, but be made encouraged that you have full control over the messy details of our lives. And let us be confident in how we share the good news of Jesus with others. In Christ, I pray, amen and amen. First thing I want us to see tonight is this. I want us to rejoice in the beautiful and absolute sovereignty of God in the coming of Jesus into the world. Believe it or not, I think I could bring the whole scope of history into view in the first five verses of Luke chapter 2. The whole scope of history. I I, I believe it with all my heart. Can I give you 
just a sample. Now, for us to have a guy like a Caesar Augustus, we have to know that he wasn't always Caesar Augustus. He was once Gaius Octavius, and he became the adopted child of a very famous person. Let me see if you can name this person. I'll, I'll, I'll quote a, uh, a line from Shakespeare, and you see if you can name the person. Etu Brutus? Who, a, a young person. Oh, that was Lauren. A sort of young person said that. Lauren, your inner child answered that. I'm so delighted. Julius Caesar, right? Julius Caesar. As a matter of fact, some people called him Caesar Augustus, Gaius Julius Caesar, uh, uh, Gaius Julius Caesar uh, Octavius. In other words, he had a long name, right? And isn't that interesting? Let me give you another name. Does anybody know what this guy has to do with Cleopatra? I bet you you don't. But he, when, when Julius Caesar was stabbed to death, there became a three-way war to be the, the emperor of Rome. And this guy comes out on top, right? Who was his last opponent? It was Mark Antony and the forces of Cleopatra out of Egypt. If you'll go and read Daniel chapter number 11, you'll see the whole story of Alexander the Great and how when he died, his kingdom fell into four major parts. Cleopatra is not only a direct descendant, but so was her husband. World history. Well, that's mentioning sort of the Greek, Roman, Persian side of things. Israel was often caught up in these wars. But did you notice they mention another name here? They mention the name of David. And they say that they have to go to the place where was David's hometown. In other words, they have to go back to the place where they can trace their lineage the longest. This would have been an amazing feat for the Romans to watch the Jewish people. They had kept these records more meticulous than anyone in that present time. And so if you mention Bethlehem, you have to think of David. And if you think of David, oh boy, what a story, right? What a crazy story. If you think of David, you should think of 20 other stories. But when I, I think of David, I, I think of his, his great-grandparents, actually. I think of his great-grandparents who were this, this couple named Ruth and Boaz. And when I think of Boaz, I think of Boaz's grandmother, which was a lady named Rahab. And Rahab was the lady who was at Jericho, who didn't turn in the spies. And now suddenly I'm all the way back to Joshua. And if I met Joshua, I met Moses. And if I met Moses, I met Pharaoh. And if I met Pharaoh, I'm in Egypt. And if I'm talking about Jews in Egypt, I met Joseph. And if I met Joseph, I met Abraham. And if I met Abraham, I'm in Uz. And if I'm in Uz, I'm in the land of lost people where God plucks out a man and says, let me do a big story through your life. Believe it or not, I could go on and on and on. In five verses, the sovereignty of God is on beautiful display. Now, just pick a couple of characters and look at it from their perspective very quickly. If you were to think through the perspective of Caesar Augustus, he had won this, this war against this, basically a civil war that spanned the whole horseshoe region of the Mediterranean, and some, some, some world-famous battles happened during that time. It was really a, a, a neat time in history for, for, for killing and stuff, if you really like are into that, if that's what you're into. But he comes out, and he's the grand victor of it all, and they get something called the Pax Romana. Anybody want to take a guess what that means? 
the peace of Rome. It would be only during an intercontinental peace that someone holding a lot of man-type authority could say, I'd like to register everyone. I can't even, if we was all in the room, I couldn't even get all y'all to sign up on a notebook. You know I'm right. This guy has got such peace. Now, who has given him this rule? This guy. God has orchestrated all of history. He's orchestrated this moment. And Caesar Augustus, Gaius Octavius, he just says, yo, let's list everybody. And that's a direct quote. You can look it up. And so they just go about the business of listing people, right? Because God has given a rule and God has given a relative peace. And Caesar uses this piece to take a, a survey, to register people. Do you, do you just yet get a taste of the sovereignty of God in all of this? Let, let's pull out another character. What about this guy, Joseph? Joseph has to go back to the town of his lineage. And they tell you it's David. Well, you, you trace Joseph's lineage, which is told here in the book of Matthew. And he comes from David through Solomon, Solomon's ancestors, some of the, the generations that follow right after Solomon, they began acting the fool to such a high degree that God says to one of Solomon's descendants, his name was Jeconiah, he says, Jeconiah, I cut you off. No more will you and your descendants rule this throne. I cut you off. That would seem like he was breaking the Davidic promise. Well, good news. David didn't have just one kid. Amen. He had other kids. And ironically, in Luke, they give us the genealogy of Mary. And guess who she was related to? David, through his son, Nathan. So what does God do? He gives a virgin birth. Joseph has nothing to do with this by blood except to go all the way back to David, which is exactly what Mary has to do with it all the way back to David. I could literally, you can name every town, Every person mentioned here, and you can see the sovereign hand of God moving and working. One more thing. Let's say you are an astute Bible student of the day, and you enjoyed Bible prophecy, and you had your eyes on Bible prophecy, and you, you had read Micah. You knew what the prophet Micah said, and Micah said there'd be this little bitty town, the most insignificant town, and that's where the Messiah would come from. You were watching the evening news, you know. Uh, you were watching the, the satellite feeds of what was going on. You were keeping up with population controls. And you said, man, Bethlehem would be the place right now. It's insignificant. It's small. Plus, there's that whole David thing. But then, you, you, you know, you turn on the 11 o'clock news, and there's a guy, right? And here's what he's doing. This is exactly what it sounds like. Breaking news from Nazareth, woman claims to have virgin birth and be carrying the Messiah of God. You're going, wait a minute, that can't be right. David's got nothing to do with Nazareth. How could this be? Well, I don't know what you call it on Xbox, but God hit that secret button. And he goes, watch this. How do I get this to happen in Nazareth, um, from Nazareth to Bethlehem? Well, you got Julius Caesar who just thinks he's exercising sheer free will and He's sitting over in Rome going, census, 
I say, give us a census. And what do they do? They get up from Nazareth. And they go to Bethlehem. Every way you turn this story, from world events to neighborhood donkeys, God is in sovereign control. From moving kings to moving pregnant women. I would contend the latter is more difficult. I want you to see the supreme sovereignty of God in this story. I want you to see that it is no problem for God to work out the events to make the Messiah be born exactly where he said he would be born, in the way he said he would be born. Somebody say amen. Now, this should, this should cause you to rejoice in two different ways. Let me give you a quick couple of points of application. First, you should rejoice when the devil says, can you take this thing seriously? You go, man, shut your face in Jesus' name. There is no way all of these details could come together and God not be in this thing. There's no way a man could make prophecies fly from so many locations, bring in so many factors. We can't even, I mean, my wife today about had a panic attack from losing her cell phone. But she's back out saying it didn't happen. It happened. Can I get two amens? Right? I mean, you, you guys know, even the most obsessively compulsed among us, you can't keep it all together. And the only time you are keeping it all together is when you make it a small all. When your it is a tiny all, you might keep it all together. How, how could so many world events come to bear? Because God is sovereign. Our salvation is real. This Messiah is not a one, he's the one. Somebody in the church say amen. And when the devil assaults us with the veracity of our faith, we say, get back, man. Just too much here. The second thing I'd like to encourage you with is if you feel like your life's a little out of control, hello. God's got it. Every once in a while, you just need to see, if God can settle centuries of sovereign movements among nations, he can handle your decades of foibles. Come on. Amen. Amen. If ain't nobody else going to amen, I'm going to amen myself. And when you, you know, this, this coming year, I, I, you know, we, we can disagree. I'm one of those guys. We can disagree totally peacefully, right? But, like, as a nation, just as an illustration, I'm looking, and if the top two candidates in the primaries are our top two candidates, I think, I think the way I feel about it is, right? And you can say, well, we've got to do something about this. We've got to get out of here and make sure everybody votes the way I want them to. If you're going to listen to me, pick the third party, please. Which one? Yes. Okay. I need, I need, whether it's a messy feeling week or a messy looking election, I need the truth to land on my heart that God is Lord over the mess. I need it. Because I'm looking at this, I'm going, well, this, this is terrible. This is terrible. Both of these candidates need adult diapers. What a, 
And then I look back at history, and he's got Cleopatra running around with Mark Anthony, and, and Gaius Octavius is adopted and wins a war and sets a peace and makes a decree and sends Jesus from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Like, I don't know about you, and honestly, don't get hung up in politics. I'm just saying, to me, the whole thing is fretful. And then I read the scripture and I go, oh, no problem. <laughs> no problem. God has got this. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I'm not going to go there because I really want to go there. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says that there's not a hair on your head that can fall apart from the sovereign will of God. There's a couple people who say he's picked a lot. No names. No names, David. Um, Got to pick on your brother when you can. God's watch care is amazing. And this, this, these few short verses, which I would contend every clause tells a powerful story of history and how God is in charge of it all. And we need to absorb it both for its own sake and for the sake of the gospel. And we also need to absorb it for our own sake and the sake of our sanity. God's got you, beloved. He is holding his children and not even as the Apostle Paul reminds us in the book of Romans, not even death or hell or every power on the earth or above the earth is able to separate God from his people through the love of Jesus Christ. Secondly tonight, I want you to, I want you to see and be encouraged by God's loving providence and provision in the people and place of the Messiah's birth. Now, again, you, you know, you got to say, like, what, what's going on here? You know, he's supposed to have the government resting on his shoulders. Isn't that, isn't that what Isaiah told us? He's supposed to be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Hold the presses. Why in the world is he out amongst the livestock getting born? I like, I like to listen to older country music. And today we, as a whole, as a family, we went a couple of places and the whole time there I'm, I'm singing these old country songs. Some of them go all the way back to the teens. Probably the newest one we sang was from the 80s. And I'm driving my Toyota Sienna, you know. It's, it's had such a powerful impact on the people in my life that Will and Mary Lou have gone and bought one. All right, and the song I probably sang the loudest is this, is this song. It goes like this. I'm just a common man, drive a common van. I, I change the words a little bit. I say my cat ain't got no pedigree. Look at what God does. God enters in a lowly way. You know why? Because no matter who you are, you can relate to this God. No matter who you are, this God can relate to you. Look at his providence. Now, the word providence comes from a Latin word, provideo. It's like saying provideo. It means you see ahead, right? And the reason I wanted to throw in the word and provision is because God not only sees ahead, he provides ahead. It's not just foresight, it's for provision. 
In other words, you think God's going to move nations and kings and Caesars and emperors? And it's a mistake that there's no room in the end? Come on, church. He enters in lowly so that the low can know he knows them. Now, me, I'm just a common man. I drive a common van. I'm one of those guys that sometimes I, 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 I accuse non-haughty rich people of being haughty just because they're rich. It's not fair and it's not right, but there's that attitude that's within me. But I can never, ever, ever, ever say that Jesus doesn't understand pain and poverty. I can never, ever say he doesn't understand struggle and lowliness. I can never enter into any painful position. I can never be in a place where I would say, well, you just don't know what it's like to be put this low, Jesus. He was born low and he died hard so that all men and all women, all boys and girls would know that he came lowly even though he deserved the heights. This is the providence of God. This is the provision of God. He raised up a leader out of the lowest of lowest states because it's no problem for him and because he came in to know us. Now, uh, I, I hate to use actually, you know, guess you'll never realize this because it's my second one tonight, but if you're here on the norm, you know I don't usually do this, but the, the, second, the second illustration. Now, uh, frankly, it's not about whether you like or don't like this person, so go on and get over that. But someone told me when, when Donald Trump first announced he was running for president, they said, they said, well, he's just an ordinary guy like us. And what they meant was he's not a professional politician. And I immediately said, uh, I'd like to know what 34 billion kind of normal feels like. <laughs> and then somebody else said, you know, he's a self-made man. I said, do what? Then I sent him a link about an article about his dad. Okay, also no one is self-made, no one. No, I mean, nobody in nowhere. You know, even if they started low, if, if they had any sort of favor, that favor was from God. Somebody ought to say amen. Right? <laughs> I, I'm not even picking on the guy. I'm picking on the people who, who told me he was normal. That's who I'm picking on. They said, he normal. No, man, my man goes and buys golf courses in Scotland. I can't even play at a golf course in Scotland Neck, North Carolina. <laughs> we are not on the same level. You feel me? And, you know, I don't even know if I want to be rich, but I'd like to try it on and see how it feels. One time, you know. Right now, I, I go in this store and I compare off-brand Dr. Pepper with real Dr. Pepper. You know, I actually have to think about it. I go, it's 12 cents. 12 cents. That could make a difference in our lives. $34 billion. <laughs> but listen, even today I visited somebody at the hospital in South Boston, and uh, I can say the very fine building that I was born in is still standing. Jesus entered lower than even I did. You know? We, we need to see God's providence in arranging all these details, but we also need to see God's providence in coming in a way that we could identify with him and his lowliness. 
It seems sort of strange. It seems almost like one thing goes against the other when he would promise, he would make a promise to King David in 2 Samuel that, it, that a, there would be a throne, a king to sit on his throne forever. But David's family's been dethroned and the leading candidate was just placed in a trough. I flat out love it. And only God, only God could keep a town where the most famous king in Israel's history is from, only God could keep that town small and humble for hundreds of years until the Messiah is born. Do, do, do you see that? He held it in its humility for the time of its fulfillment. Thirdly and lastly and quickly, as we have seen what these verses have to say, I want you to know and respond to God's purpose in sending his son. I want you to hear the gospel. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is in this passage. About every world religion, you know, go, if, if you're really bored tonight, if you've already hung all your stockings with care, and uh, I'm really the only one here that does that. I do hang our stockings with care. <laughs> Jealous, I know, I know. But if you've already got everything done and you, and you just, you know, you're kind of bored and, you know, you already watched everything on Netflix or whatever you do, just, just go take, just go to Wikipedia, go to some neutral source and look at world religions. All world religions tell you that you have to go on some journey and do some stuff to win God's favor so he'll accept you. It'll tell you, listen, listen, the world is nuts and you need to find this path of enlightenment. That's the opposite story of the gospel. The gospel would say, listen, before we tell you some bad news, let me tell you the good, the, the, I mean, before we tell you some good news, let me tell you the bad news. People love darkness, so they're not looking for light. And people, people are like sheep. They've gone astray. They've lost their way. And even if there was light straight ahead, they would be just as inclined to, to fall over as to follow the light. They're frail, faltering sheep at best. It would say that none seeks after God. Now, the Bible is either flat out lying right there or it's telling the truth. So all these world religions, I believe, they're the flares of Satan to grab people's attention and say, spend your life pursuit doing the thing that will absolutely never work. Live a life of pilgrimage where you can learn to be better and get good get noticed, and God won't smush you, or he'll bless you, or whatever the, the deal is. Well, the gospel is a story of God taking a, a pilgrimage, of the light coming into the darkness. It's the story of rescue. It's not about people doing a deed to reach God or to get right with God it is about man's lack of ability to do anything for himself 
So God came to be the rescuer himself. This is a story of God doing what's right for us to make us right with him. And that's what happens here. He has moved nations. He's moved people and families. He has worked in the most amazing ways. His beautiful sovereignty has worked across across centuries, not even like an echo, but like a firm spoken word that holds its volume across generations. Let it be done. And from Caesars who think they're doing their own will to emperors who are smacking around nations in judgment, thinking it was their idea, God has used it all. Let the church say amen. And he didn't just look out and see it. He looked out and worked toward it. And in this moment, God has come to us. And that is the celebration of the advent, the coming of God. That is the celebration that we should have our minds on right here. That is the celebration that caused our Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox forebears And we shouldn't hate all that stuff. We just say amen. We shouldn't. It caused our forebears to say we should once a year hold a special service just to celebrate that he came. What will we we call this mass? Hmm, maybe we should call it the Christ mass. Yes, great naming. It was probably some guy named Flavius Flavius, otherwise known as Flavor Flav, who came up with All the 90s kids appreciate me. Listen, what is this good news? The Bible says that all have, all have strayed away, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None seeks after God. All these world religions that would say go after God are telling you to go after a false God. God came to us. And he came to us to live righteous and die sacrificially. This is the good news. Why is that baby born so that man might die? Why did did he fill up the manger so he could prepare a cross? Why did he fill up a tomb because he planned to send him there? Why did he empty all three? Because his purpose was to come and die. The Bible calls it, there's a big word, the propitiation. He is the thing that takes God's wrath. He takes God's wrath, and we either take Jesus' takings or we'll take our own takings. So when we look in the manger, see the cross. When you look in the cross, see the tomb. When you look in the tomb, see that all three are empty and hear the good news. The babe has come to save. They laid him in the manger, but praise God, he didn't stay there. They nailed him to a cross, praise God, he didn't stay, he didn't stay there. They sealed him in the tomb. What am I going to say, church? Praise God, he didn't stay there. Guess what? He ascended into heaven. Somebody ought to know what to say by now. Praise God. He ain't going to stay there. He's coming back. And the Bible says he's coming back to save those who eagerly wait for him. To eagerly wait for him. Another reason we should look into that manger is because it reminds us to look into the sky. (laughs) 
Another reason we should look at that cross is because it reminds us that the power of hell and the grip of Satan has been broken. Another reason we should look at that tomb is because it's empty. And so will his throne be one more time. He'll step out of it and step into our reality one more time, and he'll, he'll close it down. Right now it's wide open. Do you know the Lord tonight? Have you cast your cares upon him? Have you believed on the gospel? He will, he will forgive you of all your sins. Sins past, sins present, sins future. He will adopt you into the family. He will make you one of his very own. The purpose of his coming, the good news of his coming is that he came to say. How do you tap into that salvation? It's not through works. The Bible tells us that if it was through works, we would brag about it. Oh, look at me. Look what I did. But we can't boast. We have to, we have to follow Brother Abraham. Brother Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Would you believe God today? Would you believe this, this, this Jesus is for you? His shed blood is for you. His resurrection is for you. His kingship is for you. Believe that the finished work of God through Christ counts for you. Hallelujah, you'll be saved. And you will join the throng that is eagerly waiting for him to come back. Next time, he won't be born in a tiny town and be laid in a poor manger. He'll split the eastern sky, and I don't even know how it's going to work, but every man, woman, boy, and girl is going to see his coming. They had to go get shepherds and wake them up. <laughs> Go see Jesus. Next time, they ain't, everybody's going to see it. Everybody. How's that going to work? Man, I don't even know. He's bigger than the galaxy. That's how it's going to work. You say, you sound dumb, but it's good preaching because I told you the truth. I ain't really sure how it's going to work, but it's going to work. <laughs> Amen. I want to say one more thing, and then we're going to pray. Listen, I want you guys to see. Uh, maybe you know me, maybe you don't. I've made a mess of my life. Multiple times over. Multiple times over. Sometimes I just make a mess of the day or the afternoon. Like everything I touch just falls to pieces. In the most practical way, I need to read stuff like this and be reminded, Tim, you're not going to out-sovereign God. <laughs> Say, I really messed that up, guys. I, you know, Tim, don't worry. He's not in heaven wringing his hands going, how am I going to undo what Tim did? He's just not worried like that, right? I need that encouragement. I need salvation more, but in my salvation, I need to remember, if I could wreck it, it would, it would be mine, not his. The salvation I have is his. I might fail to appreciate it, but I can't wreck it. Ain't God good? Merry Christmas, you beautiful people. Let's pray. God, thank you for the story of Bethlehem and of Mary and Joseph. Thank you for <laughs> Caesar Augustus, who just thought he was doing his thing. Thank you that you work all things together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose, and you will not leave one iota undone for your glory. Father, maybe tonight, maybe tonight, there is someone who is yet to believe by faith on the works of Jesus, would you, would you give them regenerative life? Would you give them new life? Give them the gift of faith and cause them to place that gift right on your son. Father, maybe there's that one who has believed 
And they don't know what to do next. Father, lead them, lead them into the, the holy blessing of, of baptism. Whatever things that are pressing in on us tonight, your, your people need a word from you. If you can see a manger in Bethlehem, surely you can see a broken man or a broken woman in Roxborough. Lord, touch us as only you can. Speak to us as only you can. And whatever any soul needs, do as only you would and draw them to yourself. In Jesus I pray, amen and amen. Let's stand together and sing.